If you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders and discuss relevant topics to the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. And on today's episode, we have the privilege to sit down with Lucian Niemeyer. Welcome to the show, Lucian. I appreciate it very much, BJ, and everything you're doing to influence and educate uh, the industry. Thanks. Well, I, I'm, I'm excited for the conversation. Uh, as, as a tee up here, uh, Lucian and I connected a, a while back from Jillian Breeden, uh, another one of our guests, and he's got such a wide-ranging uh, experience and expertise. Uh, he's a thought leader kind of across the board. And I don't think I've ever met somebody who's blended the strategic, the political uh, perspective on how infrastructure, how the built environment impact economics, impact national security, uh, and impact our world. So uh, I think this conversation could go a number of different ways and, uh, and really excited to, uh, to have you, I want to start by by reminding you that my wife and you went to the same alma mater high school, Bishop Eustis. Uh, so as a starting point, we're both uh, South Jersey natives. Um, so I don't want to go into your resume because I think we'll talk through that. And I want to start with uh, where we are today, and then we'll go back to how we got to, to where we are today in in kind of your uh, experience and, and career path. Uh, so tell us all about uh, your role now and, and what you're doing with uh, building cybersecurity. Sure thing. And uh, BJ, appreciate that. I'm always great to talk to somebody who's an Eagles fan. Um, so uh, looking forward to being able to, to share some thoughts. So uh, I um, right now I am a chief executive officer of a nonprofit building cybersecurity. And what we determined and have determined that at some point we were going to have an existential risk in the smart technologies that surround us. So think about your car that has 1,500 microchips in it. Think about what you're putting in your home, what we're putting into our utilities, our essential services, um, and our buildings. We want to have a smart world. It makes things more convenient and effective for us, but it also creates a risk that somebody else who is a bad actor can potentially cause harm either to you or to property. So the nonprofit is solely dedicated to creating a framework of, of cyber protections um, that we can use in our everyday life uh, to ultimately ensure that um, a threat from a criminal, from a hacker, or from a nation state uh, does not hurt us. Um, and you are the, the founder of this, is that correct? Yeah, it was founded uh, by a couple of, uh, of, of former uh, CTOs, chief technology officers. Okay. Um, it was kind of an idea that we had worked on together while I was still in government. Um, the, really, my, my uh, passion for cybersecurity started off with a, a meeting I had with the former Secretary of Defense, Jim Mattis, uh, where he made it very clear to me that uh, all the stuff that's smart in this world uh, creates a risk. And he asked, he leaned in and said, okay, fix it. And I'm like, okay. I go, how long do I have, boss? And he says, you've got six months. So, uh, so that what it started out as a look within the Department of Defense and where we had um, risk uh, in our technologies, and it really morphed from there into a larger effort looking at 
where we have threats and risk uh, across society. So, so it started out as an IDOD idea, but it's it's transformed from there. Awesome. Um, before we talk about what what you're doing there and and what progress is going on and how we in our audience may be able to help or at least become more aware uh, of of the organization. Prior to this, you were the Assistant Secretary of Defense. What led you down this path? Uh, I think we could probably go all the way back to the start of your Air Force career and maybe even uh, your education at Notre Dame. You tell me where to start, what's most relevant, and and let's hit the hit the uh, highlights along that journey that have uh, driven you to this path. Yeah, I, I get that question all the time. How'd you end up where you're at? And, <laughs> and, and as you know, I have no idea. You know, I, you know, I started out not even knowing what I wanted to do. Uh, I, I barely got into Notre Dame. Uh, I didn't have enough money to, to stay there. So I tried to find a scholarship, ended up being offered by the Air Force, which was a shock. Never had thought about the military. So it's amazing. Sometimes you just don't lay a path. Um, you kind of you take the, the road of, of, uh, of the Dow, which is, you know, you just follow the water and see where it goes and, and what happens. And, and I've had a series of amazing opportunities just presented to me. So it started out with being offered a scholarship to attend Notre Dame. Uh, I picked architecture degree, have no idea why I haven't, <laughs> I, I had to promise my, uh, my crit, uh, which is my faculty member in my fifth year that they would only graduate me if I did not practice architecture because um, they were afraid I might hurt somebody. Um, so so I uh, really, from there, uh, with my degree, went into the Air Force, um, did not do so well flying, and ended up uh, doing civil engineering for um, 16 years in the active force. Never really intended to stay that long, uh, but the Air Force is an amazing opportunity. It really gives you a chance to grow as a, as a, as a person and to really uh, uh, take your talents and put them to work. So I love my time in the Air Force, um, but then I got an offered an opportunity to work in the United States Senate right out of the Air Force. Uh, that was a tough call. I was right at the 15 year point, but hmm. could not turn down the opportunity to take the ideas that I had and present them on a larger stage um, with the, the committee and ultimately try to Im positively impact um, the military with new authorities and new abilities. So, so that was a real honor for me to work for Senator John Warner, John McCain for 11 years. So I can't really um, tell you for sure that I started out uh, wanting to, to do these things. It's kind of where my talents led me. And then all the way up to the current day, we're um, running a nonprofit with limited resources, but we are trying to change the world. It, so I heard that when you said, um, uh the idea the or, or the ability or the platform to implement some ideas you had. So when I hear that, I think entrepreneur, I think somebody who's focused on creating value, making the world a better place. What were some of those ideas that were um, itching at you inside of your military role that, that led you to the path that, that going to work for uh, Senator McCain and, and Senator Warden where was, Hey, this is the right step for me. I think it starts out with uh, the arrogance we get growing up in Philadelphia area, where you think you're smarter than everybody else and you can change the world. So I, I, I really, what it, it's one of the things an architecture degree teaches you is, you know, if you do things right, if you take a blank canvas um, and you can create something out of that, um, particularly if you're taking into account restrictions imposed by people or, or the site itself, um, using your mind, your creativity, you can come up with an elegant solution. I did the same thing in the Senate. You know, you take disparate interests, you, you realize that the folks have either concerns or, or priorities, and you try to put them together in a way um, that you ultimately can get enacted into law. 
So I took that design process I learned in college and really translated it into how can you solve problems. So uh, you know, when I got it to the committee, I really felt that uh, we had some challenges in front of us, particularly when it came to maintaining and, and building the military facilities that we needed to support new generations of weapon systems. Um, once, once there, my portfolio spread, I got wider uh, to the point where you, you were just collaborating, working with industry, working with uh, other members of Congress and working with the military to come up with uh, ideas that ultimately make things easier or allow us to be stronger. And I'm a firm believer that the stronger our military is, the less likely we're ever going to use it. Um, I'm, a, I'm a faithful disciple of peace through strength. Um, and the, the, the way for me to do that, to do my part was to take any ideas I had and making sure that I could ultimately make the military stronger. And, it, and that when you're, when you're compelled by that, it's a, and you end up working long hours and getting a lot done. I agree with, with that. I, I, uh, I, if everybody caught that, he was calling me out on, on our, uh, our Philly swagger over here. Uh, <laughs> we wear it with pride. Uh, I want to ask you, and I'm going to pull this right from your bio, as Assistant Secretary of Defense managing the world's largest real property portfolio, encompassing 28 million acres on 500 installations, over 500,000 buildings. Uh, I'm going to throw out some words like energy, environment, infrastructure, resiliency, uh, construction, sustainment, modernization, juggling all these priorities in a... Um, in an administration that was, you know, challenging, uh, working for, I think one of, one of our greatest leaders ever in Jim Mattis, uh, and then coming out of that, recognizing the biggest risk or the biggest issue that was worthy of your time and your experience and your effort and your energy is this cyber, um, being in the engineering construction industry, talk to us about you know, just what it was like triaging all of those priorities. Everything's competing for time, attention, budget. You're constantly trying to figure out how to underwrite the next next risk while proactively managing the administration's um, priorities. I mean, I get there's a lot of people, a lot of staff, but how do you how do you focus your time? Yeah, it was. Uh, that's a great. Fan, it's a fantastic question. Hadn't really thought about it before, BJ. But I think uh, what I really looked at, I look at risk. And I think a lot of what uh, uh, we do in our lives is we assess risk, personal risk, professional risk. In the case where, uh, where I moved from the United States Senate to DOD, we were looking at mission risk. We, you know, what will either allow us to complete our mission, which makes us stronger, or what will deter us or detract from our mission? And you're right. When I got up to the Pentagon um, and I was asked to take on a variety of different challenges, uh, we, we, we focused on mission assurance. What will really hurt us tomorrow? Or what will what will cause a problem for us tomorrow? And among when I when you ask yourself that question, yeah, there are environmental considerations. Yes, you know, there's a lot of folks that are prioritizing climate change. There are folks that are prioritizing energy security. Um, but for me, the one that I think is the most immediate and existential threat um, is a, a a a virtual attack on a physical system, uh, because it, it it can happen in a matter of minutes, uh, just like an earthquake, and it can be absolutely devastating. You, I mean, we can only imagine what would happen if we wake up in the morning and, and no longer there's power and we're not going to have power for days or weeks. Um, watch, watch how society breaks down in a matter of days. Um, so I, I really do believe 
Um, and the reason why I'm so passionate about addressing this risk or mitigating this risk is you have to hit the one that's most immediate, most compelling, and can be the most damaging. And for me, coming out of the Pentagon, it was it was it was the, the threat of a cyber attack. And just just to make that real, I mean, the one that comes to mind for me is the colonial cyber cyber attack uh, or the ransomware. Uh, what what would that look like in a catastrophic situation to you on a DoD installation, as an example? Oh, that's a great question. So we engineers, and I'm I'm lumping the career field um, that you that you and I are in, which is the architectural engineering construction career field, have to be aware that that particular attack could have gone very bad because um, the operators uh, at Colonial Pipeline, because they want to be more efficient, had taken their billing system and tied it to smart meters and smart valves. In other words, they they bring together the, the combination, which is what we want in this world uh, to make ourselves more efficient of information technologies and operational technologies. So the reason why the chief executive officer shut down that pipeline on a Friday morning was for two reasons. One, he was moving fuel for free to his customers because he couldn't bill. But more, more importantly, they were concerned that that cyber attack had migrated potentially into those smart valves and smart meters. And therefore, that could have led to a catastrophic release of fuel uh, and a catastrophic environmental disaster if fuel had been opened up uh, because they did not pay the ransom. That is really what I am concerned about. You know, and within the Department of Defense, I was concerned about is what could happen to our missions. More, more importantly, what could happen to our environment? What could happen to lives if a cyber attack migrated into a valve or a pressure valve, a pressure um, a sensor? or into a boiler or into a you know a gas pipeline where you had a combination of a uh, of a pilot light going out and the gas going on no it's gonna be a catastrophic loss um, and that's really what we in the engineering community need to be asking ourselves how can we design um, the future of the smart world whether it be robotics whether it be buildings whether it be automated processes where we can mitigate that cyber risk all right. So I assume you've gotten past the point of keeping yourself at up at night thinking about this stuff and you've dug into how do we mitigate, how do we proactively uh, work on this by, by doing what you are doing at building cybersecurity. Tell us what exactly you are doing. How are, how are you bringing the parties together? What's, what's your role and your organization's role in, in the effort? So we have brought together um, the world's top experts for operational technology security. Um, we've taken a look at the standards that are out there, both government standards uh, like NIST and also private sector standards provided by the International Society of Automation and ISO and others. And we have mapped them in a way that you and I can understand what, what a control is. And what I mean by control is what do you need to do to protect yourself? It could be multi-factor authentication. It could be uh, any other measure on how you, the technologies you choose, how you design and integrate them, and ultimately how you operate them. So we've taken all these questions, we put together them in a framework, and now we are working with the insurance industry to say, look, insurers, we know you have a growing cyber insurance policy risk. You have potentially risk growing from cyber threats and property and casualty policies. Help us to implement this framework. Ask your clients to be certified in accordance with this framework. You end up getting a certification of cyber bronze, cyber silver, cyber gold, cyber platinum, which then tells the insurers that not only have you invested in a certain number of protections, but you are maintaining. It's a performance framework. 
So you're maintaining that protection over the life cycle of the asset. So really, that's the core of our nonprofit is to create this framework um, and to work with uh, insurers around the world to uh, it, to incentivize it and implement it. So CEOs now are investing on the front end. They're not waiting for an attack to happen or their CISO to jump up and down saying, hey, we need this. CEOs know that if, hey, if I invest on the front end, I'll get a reduction in my insurance or I'll get insurance at all. Um, I, I think that that incentive process and that that implementation process through the insurance industry is pretty interesting because you have a pretty good carrot stick. Uh, you have a risk avoidance, you have risk mitigation, you've got an insurance policy to pay for it, but you also have the insurance policy as the as the compliance control to make sure people are taking it seriously. Um, I've thought often about that from a resiliency standpoint, meaning we're building in communities and, and environments that are that are threatened. And, you know, from the federal government standpoint, we respond and we react when a, a catastrophic event happens, such as a hurricane, we declare a state of emergency, and then we fund the recovery through emergency funding, not budgeted money, but FEMA gets funded with, you know, whatever gun to our head money we need to mitigate the disaster. I think, and I'm, if you don't have an opinion on it, fine. I'm just curious if, if in your role uh, on the installations and in the built environment, if you, one, was the insurance um, course of action or path a lesson learned at all or what, what drew you to that? And two, do you have any thoughts on how we could be better advocating for uh, spending resiliency dollars or, or infrastructure dollars in a way that ensures we are more, uh, more resilient. So, so that's a good question. And, um, I'll start off with, uh, as far as the lesson learned, uh, you and I both already experience, uh, the reward for good behavior. Uh, when you and I buy a house, when you start looking at homeowners policies, you know, what's the first thing you do is you check the block that you have a security system. Um, it may not be operating. They don't come out and check. Uh, but uh, but so so I'll check that block and I'll get $100 off on my homeowner's insurance policy or whatever the dollar amount is. Um, right now, the auto insurance uh, industry is saying, OK, if you put a chip in your car and you show us you're a good driver, you get a discount on your on your auto insurance. So the idea of using insurance rates to drive better performance is not sort of something new. And then you throw on top of that the fact that you and I have been suffering in our homes uh, from cybersecurity attacks now for decades. Um, every time my mom you know, yells down from upstairs, hey, my computer's locked up because somebody wants $4,000 from some cafe in Nigeria, you've got a cyber attack. Um, now, what do we normally do? You know, we, we try to quickly unplug the computer and turn it off and try to turn it back on and see if it's gone away. Um, or we take our computer to the geek squad, but we can't call the police. You know, you can't, I mean, it's not like we've, we have any recourse other than to try to handle ourselves. So when you take those two concepts, the fact that you can reward good behavior, and we have had a cyber threat that government cannot help us with, you've got to come up with it with a private sector incentive process um, that will, that will uh, institutionalize the investments that we need. And you and I invest all the time. When we buy a computer, what's the first thing we do? We buy malware protection. Right. Uh, it's an, it's not installed as part of the computer. We have to purchase it afterwards, and then we have to subscribe to it, and then we subscribe at certain levels, um, and and we make those decisions every day. 
how do we take those two, those three concepts and put them together in a way that we can raise safety levels and protections for everything we use in our society that's smart. So it really wasn't coming up with a radical new concept. It was just a matter of just seeing what's out there, what drives, how incentives can work, particularly with insurance, and ultimately, you know, how we, do we need to address that? And we're talking your smart TV, your smart coffee maker, your room, you know, your vacuum cleaner that, you know, was, was there was a headline a few weeks ago about how that can be turned into a listening device. Anything that's got a chip in it, you know, has we just need to understand there, there's potentially a downside and we need to come up with a, a system of protections to uh, safeguard or at least warn us when, when a device is being used in a, in a way for which it was not intended. Scary world. I don't know how you're sleeping at night thinking about this stuff all day long. <laughs> No, because we have a solution. I'm, I'm, you're right. You know, I, I could be just like a lot of folks. I could be cowering in a corner in a fetal position before <laughs> we come up with a solution, and we get inspired to try to implement it. Yeah. Um, so speaking of implementation, implementation requires leadership. Uh, it requires teamwork. It it challenge day after day navigating those. So, talk to us about any you know, lessons learned, uh, highlights from your career, leadership lessons that, that you think are worth the audience uh, hearing about. Yeah, that's, that's a, wow. I mean, I, I've been in various positions of leadership, both in the military and then afterwards. And right now I'm about my leadership is being tested, running a relatively poor nonprofit in an effort <laughs> to try to change the world. So we're doing mainly through volunteerism, um, which is incredible to see, um, you know, fellow Americans rally around this, this particular effort. Uh, in some cases, they think, they think there might be a business development opportunity, but other folks are just doing it because it's the right thing to do for their kids and grandkids mm. um, and for the future. And when you see that kind of uh, attitude, it's, it's not that hard to lead those people. I think the, 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 the role is how do you get more people to, have, to want to take on that cause? Um, so I think the lessons are you, you make clear what the intent is, um, you lay out your goals, and then you ask your team um, to say, okay, how do we go about doing it? And you, and you, and you enable them to go ahead and get the job done. I think uh, that's a lesson um, of leadership that I brought into the Department of Defense, which I think worked well, particularly when you're, um, you're, you're leading you know, a group of civilians in the Department of Defense who've seen a lot in the past, you know, and, and, and they've seen it all and they've done it all and some things work and some things don't work. Um, so coming in and saying, okay, you've got the ideas, you've got the expertise, you know, uh, let me work for you. I think that's one of the most powerful things a leader can say to, to the team is you come up with the ideas, I will clear the obstacles, I will get you the resources, and I will make your ideas turn into action. When you can get a whole team that is invested in their own ideas and their boss is doing nothing but clearing the way for them, that is a powerful, powerful way to be able to move a group forward. Wow. I, I mean, you have me now reflecting on my own leadership inside of our company. And, and I think probably a lot of the public leaders out there, I think we're charged, public and private leaders, we're charged with either our own ideas and our own visions. Uh, and we're rallying the group to, to support and we're, we're trying to align team members to different roles and responsibilities. But, um, you know, servant leadership, I've always subscribed to it. I think you have me reflecting maybe others reflecting on on our roles to ensure we're we're out there clearing the way and, and resourcing um, to, to enable the energy that's already in the organization to be unleashed. 
Yeah, and let me give you an example. I used to work in a military engineering unit called Red Horse in the Air Force, yep. and a model for Red Horse is lead, follow, or get get the well, get the <laughs> hell out of the way. All right, and you combine that with the motto of the of the CBs, which is can do, will do. Um, so if you've got a team of can do, will do's, then your role as a leader is to lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way. And it, and really, leaders have the ability. Uh, unlike you know, the folks that are, that are working for them, have the ability to clear major obstacles and and provide additional resources. And as long as you've got your team empowered and working on the goals that you want, um, let just get get out of the way. Let them let them succeed and making sure that you can uh, give them the resources they need um, to to be able to succeed. So that that's really to me has been an effective model that I learned the hard way. I wasn't always that way when I was in a red horse. Um, but I learned that the team is so much more powerful that the leader is 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 serving a role in addition to leading. That's that's good stuff. Um, moving into some rapid fire questions, are you ready? Sure. Uh, I think we hit kind of public policy, but I am interested in your if you have any opinion on what's going on in in the Russia Ukraine and is you know I've heard cyber. Uh, involved in that uh, in that engagement right now. Any any opinions on it? Yeah, um, I, I am very worried. Uh, I, unlike any type of, of of contingency or conflict we've had in the history of the world, um, we had now have a non-state actors um, that are actively attacking a nation state um, and doing so for whatever they believe their cause to be. Um, and when the president of the United States talks about fear of escalation, and then you've got a group that's completely uncontrolled out there directly attacking, you know, the, the, the space systems or the satellites of a nation state, that is very risky. That is very provocative. Um, and it could lead to a, un, a unintended escalation that the nations of the world and the leaders of the world are trying to avoid. Um, so, yes, I think uh, groups like Anonymous uh, mm -hmm. that are that are out there uh, either claiming or 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 bragging that they were able to hack into systems um, i think it causes us a grave existential danger because nation states in response will want to respond to whoever they think may have caused it um, in a lot of these cases these groups are without fingerprints um, and in that and that that leads to um, an unbelievable array of potential disasters we as the most technologically advanced society in the United States, probably the most vulnerable from somebody in the world who wants to commit a cyber attack against us. We are the most connected society. We have uh, automated processes across all our essential services and they are all ripe and they are all targets. And it would be very easy for uh, us personally, you and I to feel a lot of pain and a lot of damage uh, from somebody um, in Eastern Europe who wants to, commit a cyber attack against us. So we are in really tough times. I'm not, I'm not sleeping right now. You know, I, I'm, I feel what's happened there is tragic, but, and the consequences could be, um, exactly what, uh, was predicted in the 2018 national defense strategy that in any future conflicts, the homeland is no longer sanctuary and each of us will be attacked. Um, and that's what I'm worried is may, may happen here. Uh, um, I wasn't quick. That was a lightning. I'll do a little quicker. No, that I, I, I've got a follow on for that because we are here to inspire people in places and that requires taking yeah. action. What, what is it that, that we all can be doing right now, uh, to support that cause outside of awareness that 
that this issue exists. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's volunteer uh, opportunities, like you said, inside of your organization. But is there anything that the common person can be doing just in our, our daily habits? Um, in, in a common person, not as much. Um, but the utilities you rely on, the ask your, your water company, ask your local utility, hey, what are you doing to ensure my water is safe? Um, what what is being done uh, uh, locally to respond to the administration's warning um, that we are going to see cyber attacks in this country? Um, if you're working for a business, uh, listening to the CISO or listening to the CIO on where there is vulnerability or gaps and trying to mitigate that risk. The more that we uh, invest in now and the more that we work today to, to mitigate risk, the less likely um, that we'll see an attack because it no longer becomes a compelling uh, or coercive um, uh, uh, threat vector. So I, I, I'm going to jump a little bit off of that because I remember, I think it was in, um, the book, black swan, Nassim Tlaib talks about if, if prior to nine 11, we had gone to the airline industry and said, Hey, you have to implement or install security and locks on every cockpit on every plane. It's going to cost X dollars. Um, the the lobby that would be fighting against having to implement that because of the cost of doing business and whatever would have been on fire two days later if you if you know on on 9 12 if you had said man if we could have done something what would it have been it would have been installing those those uh locks on the cockpit right and i may be getting the story wrong but it was essentially we're we avoid doing uh, things for what could be black swan events because we think the low likelihood or we're not as um, it's not as palpable. Uh, and it sounds like that's probably where we are as a society. We're busy. We're using technology for for all sorts of things, whether it's Netflix or Facebook or email communication or banking. Uh, I've had a banking issue. We've had a hack and that's increased my awareness, increased my threat level, increased our, our, uh, protection and security internally of our business. Um, so I hear those threats are around us everywhere. Uh, there's insurance policies, cyber insurance policies, there's, uh, frameworks, but the, the best thing we can be doing is, talking with our utilities, talking with our, our providers and basically advocating for the risks and, and the mitigation of those risks from those folks. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack in that question. So let me start off with Sorry. American history. <laughs> we, we are a society of risk takers. You know, if you think about it, unlike anywhere in the world, people came to this country knowing they might be get, get killed. It's going to be hard because they wanted to have something better. So I am not in any way uh, not advocating for continuing to take risks. So right. When you look at a chief executive officer, we would rather have that smart device in our in our in our you know making our business operations more effective, more efficient. We we will we want to take any money that we have. We don't want to invest in risk mitigation. That's what insurance is for. But we want to drive revenue. We want to drive brand. We want to drive innovation. So I'm not in any way uh, trying to uh, dismiss uh, what makes this country unique. 
um, in its ability to uh, innovate technologically, to entrepreneurship has been is incredible. I think it's just a matter of of coming up with a way, a system, which is I think what we've done to use that innovation to say, hey, if you invest in cyber protections, you'll get a reduction on your insurance. So really, it's it's creating that market incentive whereby, you know, a lot of folks right now are just trying to say, hey, buy our product, buy our service to mitigate your risk. CISOs and CIOs are jumping up and down saying, hey, we need to buy this. CEOs and CFOs are saying, yeah, no, I'd rather just take the risk. Um, so really, uh, and, and, and we don't want to stop that. I think what we, we are trying to do is say, yep, nope, absolutely. You know, we, we want to offer a way for you to get to to reduce your operating costs, mainly through insurance rates by adopting this. I think that's why uh, we, we are unique in the industry. We're not purely a risk mitigation framework. Um, we are a performance framework that will um, uh, pay back over time. Um, and I think that's what we, that's why we set ourselves up the way we did, unlike saying, hey, get a certification you know, because you need to reduce risk. Um, it, it wasn't working for me in the Department of Defense because everybody wanted to buy the next weapon system. They weren't worried about where they had risk in their facilities. Um, and it does need to be a group that's innovative enough to say, okay, here's how to do this in a way that ultimately will will pay back. It's it's great to think about it because I, I agree. And, and you went, you talked about mission assurance and mis, mission risk. And I think private sector is doing the same thing, right? You, yes, you're building brand. Yes, you're trying to innovate, but you also don't want a catastrophic event on your product that, that you know, all of a sudden an unintended consequence of that. So I think it's a good good balance. And I think the tension between the CEO and the R&D and the vision and the CFO and the financial risk and the CTO and the technology risk is a good one. And it does sound like you've your um, solution is balancing those tensions, but enabling enabling the innovation to continue, which I think is yeah. is great. Um, all right, back to inspiring and rapid fire questions. Favorite quote and why? Favorite quote. Oh gosh. Uh, all right, here's one. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, uh, one of my favorite uh, authors, said, uh, "A reasonable man persists in adapting to the world. An unreasonable man persists in adapting world to himself. Therefore, all progress lies with the unreasonable man." I one of my favorites as well. Uh, maybe that's and, the and, and, unreasonable and silliness in us. I know. And if there's anybody who knows me out there listening, you probably are laughing because I can be the most unreasonable man in the world at times. <laughs> uh, must read or most gifted book? So I really was inspired. I'm a big fan of the biographer Caro. Um, so I really was inspired by a book called The Power Broker oh. uh, about a, a city planner in New York City who finds a way to change the world in his own way. Uh, and despite his personality quirks, um, it ends up, uh, you know, um, uh, really being a big part of how we look at our lives in an urban suburban environment today. I, I agree. It's great. Great read. Uh, dead or alive, dead or alive. If you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? And what would you do? Oh my gosh. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. And I've heard, I've heard some answers that get people in trouble. Um, obviously <laughs> I, 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 you know, uh, I'm, I'm a religious person. So, uh, Jesus Christ would have to be on there just so I can make sure I, I uh, understand, um, more clearly what I, what I need to do in the world. Um, I've always had a dream of hanging out with Socrates just to be able to, to, to debate with him for a while. Um, 
I always love to get my, my butt kicked in a good debate. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, I couldn't, oh, John Madden would love to be able to hang out with him just to talk, just to talk football. Uh, and I, I'm so sorry for his loss. Me too. I thought it was, I thought it was so fitting. I don't know if you saw, um, the documentary on him. I think it, I think it was released like two or three days before his passing, but it was almost, it, it was almost romantic in the way that he passed. Like yeah. it was like his story yeah. was told and so many yeah. unbelievable stories uh, came out about him after the fact. Um, yeah. Hey, one last person too, if he's out there listening, Lou Holtz, I would like to hang out with Lou Holtz for a day. <laughs> Go Irish. He, he's about the funniest guy I've ever, I've ever been around in my life. So I've had a chance to meet him, but be able to hang out for a day would be fantastic. All right. Uh, legacy. What do you want on your tombstone? Oh gosh, I uh, had, hadn't really thought about that. Um, I don't know. How about, uh, wow, that was a hell of a ride. <laughs> and then is there anybody you've seen a lot of, you've seen a lot, you've worked with a ton of people. Uh, we talk about inspiring people in places. We talk about entrepreneurship inside of government. Um, you, you use the George Bernard Shaw quote. Uh, is there anybody that is so inspiring that you want to highlight and we should have and try to get on the podcast. Oh God. Um, I've had a lot of folks in my life who, who have positively influenced the outcome. Um, I think you should sit down. Um, I don't know if you've, you've run across a retired air force general, Gene Lupia. Um, but I think, in, I think sitting down with general Lupia, he kind of uh, forced me to take some, to make some decisions that ultimately were very positive in my life. Uh, to include getting involved with the Society of American Military Engineers. Hmm. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, sitting down with General Lupia, you know, finding out his uh, style of leadership, he'll probably laugh all the way through, um, <laughs> but he might be a good good interviewee for you. Awesome. And then in the spirit of Andy Reid, uh, the time's yours. Anything that you would like to leave with our audience um, related to cyber risk, related to leadership, related to doing better in the world, the, uh, the time's yours. Yeah, I think one of the things I've loved about uh, the engineering and, and architecture professions, we our goal is to create. Our goal is to work every day to, to, to make the world um, a better place, to engineer new solutions. Um, I've loved being in this community my entire life because it really does allow us to, to affect other lives in a positive way with, with our INTP personalities. And we're not, we're not healthcare professionals. We're out there, not out there nurturing. But in our own introverted ways, we can ultimately make the world a better place. And so when I uh, became an assistant secretary of defense, I kind of concentrate on that message that we have a responsibility not just to uh, uh, complete uh, the work we've been asked to do and that are being paid for for new facilities, but do it in a way that's that's efficient, that is meets deadlines, um, and ultimately uh, uh, do it in a way that supports the missions that you're assigned to, whether you be in the military or otherwise. Um, I really was concerned about uh, how we were letting projects be delayed. Um, that's not what we need as a nation. The faster we take the money we're given by the taxpayers and put it to good use and get the and get projects built and get new capabilities installed, um, the better off we're going to be as a country. So I think I would ask uh, your listeners out there, particularly those who are involved in the architectural engineering construction industry, to to understand um, that um, what you are doing matters and what you're doing is critical. Um, and the faster we can get it done, um, the better off our, our customers will have that capability and be able to uh, use it. So 
I really, that's kind of what I was committed to is we've got to do our jobs correctly in order to, for others to be able to thrive. I couldn't agree with that message more. Uh, Lucian, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. We appreciate what you're doing and we will ensure we, uh, we get your message out in the show notes uh, and link people back to your organization. And Lucian, before we go, how can people reach you? Yeah, thank you so much for that. For anybody who wants to volunteer or be a part of us, uh, it's the uh, website is www.buildingcybersecurity.org. And I can be reached at Lucian, L-U-C-I-A-N, at buildingcybersecurity.org, all one word. And we will also make sure we get that in the email and on our LinkedIn posts and the show notes. Lucian, thank you so much. Everybody, if you're enjoying this show, please share it with other entrepreneurial public servants. Do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. Uh, we'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and, and uh, shared this with your networks, uh, especially on LinkedIn. Thanks so much. And until next time, have a great day and a great week.